Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and uh, once again uh, apologies about the, the slightly uh, more infrequent podcast at the moment but uh, as I, I mentioned previously um, uh, post-viral, post-Covid exhaustion has, has got the better of me ever so slightly but um, we'll, we'll labour on together. So tonight I'm going to talk uh, a little bit um, about the uh, attempts by the British to stem the tide of uh, African nationalism uh, in uh, what is now in what is now Zambia and Zimbabwe, uh, in uh, then uh, northern and southern Rhodesia, and Nyasaland, which is now Malawi, uh, and the creation of the Central African Federation. So this is really uh, the story of uh, Britain's. Um, Attempts to maintain its empire in Africa during the 1950s. The 1940s um, had seen the end of empire for the most part in um, Asia, uh, the loss of uh, India, which is everything from Pakistan to Burma, um, and the uh, abandonment of Palestine. The 1950s had seen the kind of the epic humiliation of the the Suez Crisis, uh, and throughout the 1950s, from um, 1951 through to um, 1959, and there's a reason why we're going to use those those two kind of historical bookends. Um, the the British uh, tried to hold on to and to stem the tide of nationalism in uh, Central Africa, uh, and we will look at other parts of. Uh, British uh, Africa uh, later on. Um, the British had obviously, from uh, the 1880s onwards, colonised most of Africa from um, Cairo to the Cape. Um, they had a huge swathe of territory down uh, East Africa. Um, however, uh, the jewel in the crown of the empire, as it was kind of famously referred to, 
was always India. India was uh, worth far more um, to the British, or or had been um, up until the the, the 1940s, uh, than most of the British um, holdings in uh, Africa. Uh, as we'll see, there becomes a kind of a, a three-way struggle between the uh, British uh, authorities in Africa, the British Imperial authorities, uh, the uh, African national uh, nationalist parties uh, and movements, but also a white settler class that was not going to cooperate with even the most modest moves towards um, self-rule, even uh, if that meant maintaining part of the empire maintaining um, the colony within uh, within the empire itself. And we see, um, when we talked uh, a while back uh, about uh, French uh, colonists in Vietnam, this um, vociferous and utterly unyielding stance came from those white settlers, French in the case of Vietnam, British in the case of the Central African Federation, who believed themselves, who convinced themselves that they were natives in, in the land. Some had been born in Africa and in Vietnam and saw themselves as being the rightful owners of the land and they began to see themselves as having perhaps less to do with the colonial metropole, France or, or Great Britain. And they saw the cause of um, their continued uh, colonial rule, partly as a matter of white supremacy, partly as a uh, a matter of um, their own uh, sense of entitlement and their their right to rule, and they actually began to see the colonial metropole, um, the mother country, if you will, as being more of a nuisance and a hindrance, something eventually to be defied, as we shall see in the character of Ian Smith in uh, Rhodesia, when we come across him. Um, so, once again, we're looking at the brilliant work of Martin Thomas in Fight or Flight, um, and he begins by talking about the Conservative Party that ruled throughout most of the 1950s. He writes, There's a case, um, so far as the halting strides of British decolonisation are concerned, we're thinking of a short 1950s, Bookended by the election victory of Winston Churchill's Conservatives in October 1951, and the appointment of the reformer Ian MacLeod as Harold Macmillan's colonial secretary in October 1959. Over the intervening eight years, three successive Conservative governments courted their favoured nationalist collaborators and picked fights with others they deemed too radical. British military force and covert interventions were used with seeming abandon, not as a last resort, but as uh, the first to restore the Shah of Iran in 1953, to prevent left-wing victory in Latin America, the Latin American colony of British Guyana in that same year, and more generally, to ramp up counterinsurgency efforts in Malaya, Kenya and Cyprus. In this sense, the attempt to overthrow Egypt's Colonel Nasser in November 1956 fitted a broader trend. Certain Conservative ministers were also willing to defend white settler privilege in southern Africa in a way that their Labour opponents found increasingly repugnant. 
So when we're talking about the Central African Federation of Southern Rhodesia uh, and the protectorates of Northern Rhodesia and Nyasaland, um, it, it's, it's difficult to untangle uh, and to separate out two differing tendencies that the British had. The first was to give up on their colonies as too difficult to maintain, too problematic um, and um, too costly. And the second was the the tendency to fight tooth and nail for them. Uh, David Edgerton, in his really top-notch, brilliant, fantastic book, um, The Rise and Fall um, of the British Nation, argues that after the Second World War, uh, an imperial nation had died away, a nation based on free trade and, and the British Empire, and a new sense of national identity uh, based not around imperial connections and pride and that sort of thing, but around a, sen- a, a sense of Britishness emerged instead. And so it, this, this argument by David Edgerton helps to explain a little bit uh, about why successive British governments were less concerned with holding on to uh, imperial territories because clearly there were fewer and fewer votes to be won in it. Uh, the age of um, music hall jingoism was a thing of the previous century and the sense of connection that many ordinary British people had with their empire um, was fairly, fairly minimal. Um, and this is perhaps as a result of the transformative experiences of the, the Second World War. These three territories in particular, um, which were federated in January 1953, in a sort of a curious hybrid kind of state-building project, which nobody uh, is quite clear um, what the motivating factors behind it, it were, um, were barely in the thoughts or the imaginings of of most British people. Um, There were few people who could point to where Nyasaland was on on the map. As so often happens in colonial Africa, the uh, decision to fuse different countries and peoples together against their own wishes created uh, nothing but tensions. The colonial governors uh, in um, Rhodesia and Nyasaland said it was a, a, a bad idea. Um, the federation lasted um, a decade before uh, crashing, uh, uh, crashing and burning uh, into a constitutional crisis um, and uh, a, a eventually um, a, a separation. Um, anger and resentment over the demise of the Federation was strongest amongst the uh, white settlers in southern Rhodesia. And by 1963, they were considering their own rebellion uh, against um, domination from a a Westminster uh, government that they believed would eventually betray them and hand the country over to black majority rule. And certainly, when conservative rule ends in 1964, um, the uh, white colonial settlers have no faith that Harold Wilson's Labour government 
would act in their interests. Which, again, I, I, I find um, actually an, an unrealistic uh, summation of, of affairs. Harold Wilson um, was uh, somebody who uh, believed in uh, most of the, the standard dogma of uh, British uh, nationalism. Um, he had as, as many uh, misgivings and as many um, kind of favoured thoughts uh, about the empire as most of the Conservatives did. Um, a figure of the radical left, he certainly was not. Uh, a figure of third world emancipation, he, he certainly was not. Ironically, though, it was the white colonial settlers in the Central African Federation who managed to poison the well of the Federation's politics. Martin Thomas writes, During the CAF's ten-year existence, meaningful reforms were withheld from black Africans, while at the same time, the white settler minority, and especially those in southern Rhodesia, consistently the most intransigent nationalist constituency in Central Africa, was shamelessly placated. Southern Rhodesia contained by far the largest settler population of these federated territories, close on 200,000, next to Nyasaland's 9,000 and northern Rhodesia's uh, 70,000. The majority of southern Rhodesia's whites were neither wealthy farmers nor civil servants, but skilled workers. Their employment prospects and economic status were threatened by the Africanization of local industry. In northern Rhodesia, uh, whose all-important copper belt was dominated by three uh, part-British-owned mining conglomerates, company interest in promoting opportunities for their African labour force clashed with the preferential status once accorded to white mine workers through the industry, uh, an industry colour bar. To be sure, post-war British governments had diminished means to restrain settler demands, whether in the labour market or in matters of politics or cultural privilege. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Colonial governors wielded executive power in northern Rhodesia and Nyasaland. But southern Rhodesia had been internally self-governing since 1923. Its model of white rule, based on a narrow franchise and a firm grip on the levers of local economic power, was always liable to spread to its two neighbours once the federation took shape. Confusion persisted over the divisions of responsibilities between Britain, the three territorial administrations and the new federal authorities, even so. Defence, for example, was a federal matter. Policing remained in the hands of individual territorial governments and the British government maintained direct interests in both. These overlapping jurisdictions would cause intense friction between all sides from 1958 onwards as the choice between oppression or conciliation of the African majority in all three federated territories became urgent. Much clearer was that the apparatus of federal government would be settler-built and settler-led. Once established, the federation enjoyed lawmaking powers, British ministers and Whitehall officials scrutinising legislation, but not initiating it. There was a profound sense from the settlers that uh, London didn't understand uh, and that um, the the British government um, had no uh, sense of of Africa in the way that they did. They were obviously speaking um, in a a colonial sense um, about Africa um, with all its uh, biases uh, and assumptions about uh, and racial assumptions um, uh, about what an, an orderly colonial society looks like, um, and there was a, a complicating factor of white Africana um, immigration into Rhodesia from South Africa or into the, the Central African uh, Federation from South Africa. Uh, the uh, Federation government. Uh, was able to uh, control and to cream off a significant amount of wealth from the copper mining industry uh, and to control the crucial railways that held the uh, the capital cities um, together. And this, in the eyes of the settlers, gave them uh, a viable future state, um, one where they would have uh, the resources and the wealth to go their own way uh, if they needed to, um, and particularly to go their own way if they uh, needed to ensure their own supremacy within the Central African Federation or whatever successor states uh, came after it. And that supremacy was what they sought to protect, and they didn't believe that Westminster was a, uh, a useful ally in that, uh, in that struggle. And certainly... They hadn't, throughout the 1950s, got clear messages from their own governments that that was uh, something that was at the top of uh, the British government's list of priorities. All they had seen is imperial retreat after imperial retreat, and they imagined that they would eventually be abandoned and left to their fate. Far better, they thought, to um, break away, um, and this is particularly in southern Rhodesia, to break away to form a white settler state, a white colonial settler state, uh, before black majority rule was imposed upon them by London.
This isn't to say that the um, values of all of the colonialists in Africa were aligned with, say, the apartheid state in South Africa. Some who believed in uh, the right of whites to rule in um, the Central African Federation still looked with uh, shock and uh, uh, disgust at the extreme policies of um, the apartheid regime in South Africa, whilst perhaps being unreflective about their own um, diminishment of black African aspirations uh, in the Central African Federation. They saw their version of white rule as a, a more moderate, more acceptable uh, and, and less extreme version than that which they saw to the south of them. So the federation, which you know, failed fairly rapidly, um, had been fated in uh, London um, as being uh, a good idea. Uh, and a whole tranche of British um, um, journalistic, political and intellectual life uh, supported it and uh, a broad spectrum of um, uh, elite opinion thought it was um, a good concept. Um, the reason why is that in the eyes of its British backers, far from making uh, interracial conflict more likely, the Federation offered some kind of middle way. Um, uh, this is a kind of obviously breathtakingly naive. Um, between racial authoritarianism uh, of the South African uh, model and the surrender of uh, Britain's Central African uh, interests to black nationalist politicians uh, themselves. So um, the Central African Federation uh, offered a more gradualist route to some kind of racial harmony. Um, the idea that racial harmony in a white settler colonial society is likely to be possible um, is was was a kind of uh, again a, a breathtaking naivety, and perhaps a, a reassuring fiction that the the British told themselves um, in order to distinguish their empire with um, other uh, other overtly racialized states such as apartheid South Africa, such as um, the re recently defeated. Uh, Nazi Germany, and the the story of a kind of a benign British Empire uh, is is told in such ways. Eventually, moderate uh, African representatives, African politicians, would be uh, elected, and there would be a uh, a sharing of power. Um, by moderate, what that meant was that African politicians who knew that their choices were limited and that they were required to toe the line with white uh, colonial and commercial interests. Uh, these are the political figures who would make it and who would be able to sit alongside white colonial settlers uh, and determine a degree of policy. Um, those would be the, the, This would be the, the British vision of um, racial harmony and the conservative governments of the day 
were very keen on ensuring that this came to pass. Of course, it's the colonial settlers who have most invested in blowing the stream uh, apart. From the very outset, southern Rhodesian settler leaders exploited the apparatus of federal rule to weaken countervailing British authority and also, therefore, to ensure continuing white supremacy. For them, the Federation was the prelude to and the means to transform its component territories into a white-governed dominion, a greater Rhodesia whose racial policies would approximate South African standards, not British. So there, the, there's a lot to unpack there. The long-term strategy of the Southern Rhodesian uh, white settlers was to capture the Federation and to mould it to a, a kind of a white supremacist state, uh, far more so than it, than it already was and to allow South Africa, apartheid South Africa, to be the model for this uh, new racial future. The uh, British would be uh, gradually uh, outwitted and outmaneuvered in Southern Africa. And indeed they were. The, uh, the various successive uh, British governments uh, were no match for the uh, southern Rhodesian white settlers. Creating a, a dominion within the Commonwealth, within the Empire and then eventually within the Commonwealth, was a, uh, a desirable goal, so creating something uh, akin to, say, Australia uh, in, in terms of, of kind of legal status, um, and with the, um, uh, the, the, the social and racial uh, injustices of South Africa um, was the, the model that they were aspiring towards. If this wasn't achieved, uh, achievable, then independence uh, on white colonial terms would be uh, sought after. The Central African Federation's chequered history was never going to be uh, boiled down to simply a, a two-way two fight between settler reactionaries and British liberal reformers. Um, on the one hand, you have African nationalist groups, including Southern Rhodesia's African National Congress, Joshua Nkomo's Breakaway Zimbabwean, Zimbabwean African uh, People's Union, and the northern cousin, the Zambian uh, African National Congress, uh, led by Harriet Nkambala and Kenneth Kawanda. Um, they rejected cooperation on principle. Each proved their uh, ability to govern through um, quite uh, extraordinary patience uh, in the face of uh, provocation and repression. Um, and on the other hand, the Westminster politicians were mainly on the Conservative right, um, a small clique who sympathised with white settlers uh, and uh, believed that um, they were not only the rightful owners of the land, not only now uh, abandoned by um, Great Britain, or going to be abandoned by Great Britain, but also, and here is where kind of the politics of um, colonialism are flipped on their head for all sorts of kind of disingenuous reasons, 
the that the uh, white uh, Rhodesians would become the uh, oppressed minority uh, within um, the uh, Central African Federation uh, unless the Conservative Party stuck by them. Um, and there was also a kind of um, a, a, an attempt to conflate black African nationalism with well, sort of Bolshevik comments of Soviet infiltration, which is a story for another time. Anyway, that we must finish, um, and we will continue this journey into looking at um, as the Central African Federation and its demise uh, in forthcoming podcasts. Um, thanks very much, and I'll catch you all on the Explaining History podcast next time. All the best. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.